And it is another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in. Either live or you're listening to the podcast over at investinghope.com or Google Play or Apple, iTunes, wherever podcasts are found, you can find this show. And we're, we're again thankful that you are partnering with us in this way. Uh, you know, I like to think that I have a lot to say every single week. And, uh, and so that's why we're here and, and we enjoy it. I, there, there's a lot to talk about today. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different than normal in terms of, uh, the focus. I want to touch on social media and, uh, our use of it uh, as Christians, what does that mean for us? What are some warning signs in terms of um, too much activity on social media, what we're doing with social media? And then I want to look at uh, some news out of Ohio concerning uh, telemed abortion. And then we're going to look at uh, a number of other things as well uh, that, that I think is important as Missouri becomes the first state uh, to not have abortions occurring. They have officially, uh, most of the abortion clinics, if not all of them, have closed down there in the state of Missouri. And so we're going to touch on that as well. But I want to start with social media. And, and I want to say that there's a couple reasons why I want to start there. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into what happened in Washington last Wednesday. Last Wednesday, January 6th, was my youngest daughter's birthday. So that's where I kept most of my focus. Uh, there were some folks that, uh, you know, maybe a couple hundred thousand people went to Washington, D.C., uh, maybe 500 or so uh, decided it was a good idea to go inside of the Capitol building and break windows and, and cause uh, a lot of ruckus. And that was nonsense. Uh, and, and I'm not going to uh, say apologize for saying that's what that is exactly what it was. It was it was it was nonsense. It wasn't a revolution. Uh, it was complete and utter nonsense and it should be called out. Everybody has called it out and, and I'm not even going to follow it up with a, but this or, but that no, what happened in Washington last week, uh, is inexcusable, should have never happened. And, and in reality, some people aren't going to like to hear this. A lot of the positives that came over the last four years in terms of life, in terms of taxes, in terms of another, a number of things, uh, went straight out the window. Because of a few hours in Washington, D.C. And that's the, that's the most frustrating part for me is, uh, we had some folks, uh, wrapped in, uh, Trump flags and all of this just do, uh, nonsensical, ridiculous, insane things. And they should be arrested and I'm glad they are. Uh, and I'm glad a lot of them have been arrested. Uh, and so I think that's important first and foremost. Next, I want to get into, because of what happened and because of what we've seen with social media, uh, when I say I'm going to talk about social media, what I'm not going to do is talk about uh, Twitter banning people and Facebook banning people and Amazon saying we're no longer going to be a host uh, platform for Parler or anything like that. Look, I'm not getting into that. Uh, you can have your opinions on that and, and argue about that if you want. That, that's not what I'm going to do today. What I'm going to do today is I want to talk to Christians specifically. Because what I've seen over the last few few days and weeks is a lot of posts of ranting and raving, and then they follow it up at the end with, but I trust God. I would challenge you on that. Look, and I want you to know that everything that I say uh, today and, and on this show normally, look, I admit that there was a time in my life where I idolized politics. 
it was a, it was idolatry. It's exactly what it was. It was an obsession. Uh, I couldn't get enough news. I, I, I wanted to know what was going on with every single thing. And I, I wanted to argue with people and I cared more about the way you voted than, than where you were going to spend eternity. And, and so everything that I said during that time of my life, many people would have agreed with. They wouldn't have thought there was any sin going on at all, but the reality was it was idolatry. And I'm afraid we're seeing a lot of that now. And it's concerning and it's, uh, it bothers me greatly. People that I love and respect and care for, uh, are, are going down that path and it's scary. And, and, and I had a conversation with somebody yesterday and, and I said that we're not, we're not wired or built to ingest the amount of information that we ingest on a daily basis. Like we have everything at our fingertips. And so what happens when we have everything at our fingertips is that we, we ingest real news. We ingest fake news. We ingest conspiracies. We, we ingest all of it. And then it gets to a place where we've ingested so much of it that we don't even know what's real and what's not. We don't know what's true and what's false. And it's scary. And so Paul David Tripp uh, wrote a piece about Christians in social media. And I think it's important that, that we, we cover that. He actually wrote it, uh, I believe it was a year ago, but I want to, I want to go through it and I want to talk about, uh, the importance of how we interact with each other and how we interact with social media. And I say all of that because I even saw somebody yesterday post online. I'm just trying to figure out how to live life moving forward without social media. Think about that statement. We've had people live thousands of years without social media. And now we got grown adults asking themselves, how am I going to live my life without social media? Well, it sounds to me like it's a golden calf. And maybe we need to crush that golden calf into a million pieces and get the idolatry out of our life. But here's what Paul David Tripp said. He says, there's something about the fact that you're not standing in front of me that makes me able and willing to do things in communication I would never do if you were in the room. It's wrong and it's harming us. And that communication, that form of communication is not just harmful to the person who hears it. It's harmful to your heart. So I want to talk with you about being a Christian in the world of social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or all those apps that are out there. There's a lot of negative talk about social media in the Christian community, and that concerns me a bit. And I will tell you why. From my personal experience, I think that social media is just like a screwdriver. A screwdriver, you can build beautiful things with, wonderful mechanical things, but you could also stab somebody in the face with it. It's just a tool, and social media is a tool that can be used for enormous good. About 12 years ago, Tripp says, I realized that the way that The human culture would communicate was going to change, and that would be driven by these new internet media platforms. And I immediately thought, what a powerful tool for the gospel. One of the first things I did was decided I would tweet the gospel three times every morning, and that began to just build and build and build. And I can honestly say that my entire ministry, the scope of my influence, has been changed by those social media platforms. We only ever project gospel messages, gospel messages that attach the truths of the gospel to the things of everyday life. It's been a tool of enormous good, and in that way, I think we ought to plunder the Egyptians, take what the world has created, and use it for the kingdom of God. I think there are powerful ways we can do that. But I want to share with you four concerns for your consideration. 
The first is the concern of moral authority. It is used, let's see, it used to be that there were institutional ways that you would reach a point of authority, like the authority of a pastor was because he was recognized by his local church and sent off to seminary, who would train him well and be ordained by some group, some denomination. And so he had established a recognized, guarded, accountable authority. Or maybe it was someone who had risen in an educational institution and had gone through degree programs and established some kind of authority because of that. But that has all changed. Now, because of the power of social media, anybody can become an authoritative voice, can begin to speak to critically important issues without ever having gone through those normal institutional accountable ways of garnering authority. And I would just ask you the question, who are you? Who are the authoritative voices in your life? And how do you know those voices are trustworthy? Man, that's an important question. Trip goes further. I'm saddened again and again by the messages I get from people that they have listened to and submitted to and made part of their life. I had an example of someone who did that with, with parenting, just found a voice out there and they were excited about this new kind of parenting. And I thought that voice is contradicting everything I would think about the Bible uh, would enjoin us to do as a parent. Who is this person? How did they do get to the authority? How did they become an authority in the Christian community? Be careful. Who are you listening to? Who have become moral authorities in your life? Authorities for parenting, authorities for marriage, authorities for building relationships, authorities about moral, cultural issues. All of a sudden, anybody can rise to a position of authority, collect an audience, and begin to have followers. So be careful. Trip's second thing is this. He says that he's concerned about what you're exposing your heart to. There was a time when, when you would have to leave your house and go somewhere to expose your heart to the darker parts of the moral world. But that's not true anymore. They are right there in front of you. You can view horrible things on Instagram. You can uh, you can see terrible things and expose yourself to terrible things on t- Twitter. Not everything on Facebook is worth you spending your time with. There's a huge temptation to start one place and end up in a place that you would be embarrassed if others knew this is where you were spending your time. What are you exposing your heart to? What is the impact that it's having on the way you think about yourself, on the way that you think about life? Where is social media? Where in social media do you go for pleasure? Where in a completely different world when it comes to how now do you guard your heart? How do you keep your thoughts pure? What is that? What is it that you expose, not just your physical eyes, but the eyes of your heart to? This tool that is enormously beneficial for good is also a powerful tool of sin and temptation. And we need to be honest about that. The church is being weakened by that, by the fact that we are now comfortable with exposing ourselves to things that we should have never exposed ourselves to. There's a third area, and it's the area of communication. Uh, Tripp says this, I think particular of Twitter at this point because it's become a form of this. There is so much unwholesome, ungodly, unhelpful, negative, disrespectful communication that takes place on that platform concerning Twitter. You know, the Bible says I should never speak unwholesome communication. Now, by Bible definition, what follows is not a list of four-letter words that you should never speak. It says, speak only what is needful for the moment that gives grace to the hearer. In other words, I should always speak in an other-centered way. I want everything I say to result in benefit. Let me say it this way. God's definition of benefit to the person who is listening. Trip goes further. I wish this horrible communication that is disrespectful and negative and harmful was only outside of the Christian community, but it's not. I'm amazed, even in the Christian community, the kind of communication that, that I don't think we would fa- see face-to-face. There's something about the fact that you're not standing in front of me. 
that makes me able and willing to do things in communication I would never do if you were in the room. It's wrong and it's harming us. And that communication, that form of communication is not just harmful to the person who hears. It is harmful to your heart. What is your talk like on social media? How helpful is it to others? How much of it is motivated by love and grace and joy and patience and faithfulness and mercy? How much of it is outside of those standards? How much have you allowed yourself to be a part of the outrage culture? You're just looking for a reason to be angry, looking for something to rip. How about wanting your communication to build people, to encourage people, to motivate them, to do what is good, to let them know that they are loved and not alone? This powerful tool for good can be a powerful tool for evil. How are you using this tool? And then, of course, there's the issue of stewardship of time. I must admit, I hate the fact that my time on social media is not logged for me. It can be pretty embarrassing. When I, at the end of the day, and I see, it, when I get to the end of the day and I see, this is Trip talking, 3.2 hours on social media, he says he thinks, no, that's not possible. It's not possible that I spent that much time. This world can eat your time and take your way, take you away from the things that God has called you to. There are three areas that God has designed to be the major investments of your time. First, your relationship with him, that personal, devotional, worshipful time of the Lord. Second, your love of the people in your life, your investment in those relationships. And then he would include in that extended community, that is the body of Christ in your church. Those relationships have high, high value in God's economy. And good relationships are good relationships because the people invest good things in them. And third is your life of labor. Even before the entrance of sin in the world, God ordained humans to work. And so those three things are the places where I've got to invest most of my time and energy. Now I could go further and I'm going to post this as well in, in other places. But, but I want you to know that because we have the platform that we have, Used to, people would have platforms because they were respected in the community or, or because they did something or because they were an athlete or, or politician or pastor or whatever. Now all you got to do is create an account on Facebook, create an account on Twitter, create an account on Parler, Instagram, and all the other ones that are out there. And you have a platform. And what that platform does is somebody will post and comment on it and they'll say, can I share this? And then you get a good feeling inside and you're like, of course you can share it. Then I'm going to post something tomorrow that you're going to want to share. Why do we do that? We'll talk more about it when we come back. It's yesterday once more. As we continue the conversation today, I do think it's important that we talk about how we interact on social media. And as I ended the last segment, I was talking about we'll post things and people will say, hey, can I share this? Or they'll like it or they'll comment on it. Even if they comment in an angry way, that feeds us too. Right, that that feeds our mentality. It, it sparks something within with within us that makes us want to go back after them. See, if they say something negative, well, I'm going to come back after you and, and tell you why you're wrong and I'm right. Or if somebody posts and they're they're uh, celebrating what you post, that makes you feel good too. So then you feel like you have some type of authority on certain issues, and then so you're going to post something tomorrow. Maybe what you post tomorrow is even more provocative. Maybe it's even more extreme. You see, and we go down this path. And, and, and I think there was a time in our lives where we would say, yeah, kids don't need to be on social media because kids say crazy things. That's true. But guess what, folks? Most of the people on social media are adults. And we say crazy things. And so, so what are we doing? Why are we moved by that? 
Has it become a problem in our lives? Are we willing to admit? Because the, the reality is, because so many of us are addicted to it, we're not going to call each other out on it. You see, if we walked out into the street today and everybody that we interact with was on drugs, well, we're not going to call somebody out and say, hey, we, you might need to go to rehab. Well, we wouldn't do that because all of us are addicted. But why do families have interventions and things like that? Because they see a problem within someone's life and they, they recognize it and they hold them accountable and they say, hey, maybe rehab's a thing for you. Maybe you need to rid that out of your life. But all of us are on social media. All of us are looking down at our phones. And so we're not going to call someone else out. You know, the sad truth is the one that calls me out on this is my children because they don't have phones and they're not on social media. And they say, Daddy, put your phone down. You always are on your phone. Now, why do they call me out on it? Because they're not experiencing the same addiction. It's the same reason why you're not calling your friends out on it because they're doing the same thing. And so all I would say is guard your heart in that. Don't get off of social media just because you think that they're fighting against free speech and because they're, they're banning certain people on those social media outlets. Don't, don't get off of it simply because of that. Maybe you don't need to get off one to get on another. Maybe you need to get off all of them. Maybe. I don't know. That's for you to answer. But we, we get, we get ourselves worked up. And I, I was, I was talking with somebody this morning and because our society has progressed so far. And what I mean by that, I'm not saying in a progressive pol- politic way. I'm saying we have progressed. You know, we're driving vehicles. We have heat and air in buildings and p- indoor plumbing and we are living in, it, there's no better time in the history of the planet to be alive and in America than right now. Period. I mean, we, we used to love sitting at school and play Oregon Trail when I was in middle school. And now I literally have every, I have a supercomputer that I carry around with me in my phone. But because we progress so far, we're bored out of our mind. So then you have people like, uh, Elizabeth from Knoxville that kind of went viral last week who said it was a revolution and I'm a revolutionary. But all it took was some mace and that revolution went out the window, right? She's on camera going, okay, I'm done. So we're so bored because we're not having to tend the fields. We're not having to kill our food. We're not having to tend the garden. We're not working from sun up to sundown out in the field somewhere on a farm. Most of us. You see, we're, we're so bored that we're looking for something to stimulate us. So we find that in a back and forth argument in the comment thread on social media. Cause that stimulates us. That makes us excited. Gets our heart racing. We find that in attacking big tech. We find that in attacking the other side. That, uh, on the political aisle. You know, we, we feel like we have common ground with the founders and, and we want to do that. We want to throw some tea 
in the water. But what are we doing? What's the end goal? And for Christians, what are we ingesting and what are we, what are we putting out into society? Is it bringing more people to the Lord? Is it pointing them to Jesus? Or is it getting them to vote a certain way? Those are questions we have to wrestle with. Those are questions we must deal with as we interact with our neighbors, whether that be online or in person. And I would encourage you to do more of that in person than online. So I could continue on for hours about that. I'm not going to, but I do want you to think about it. I want you to think about what Paul David Tripp said. I want you to think about your use of social media. And and is it glorifying to God or is it glorifying to you? Or glorifying to your political party or glorifying to fill in the blank? Who are you honoring with the words that you post, with the things that you post? But right now what I want to do is shift gears a little bit and look at what's happened in Ohio uh, because I always want to give you updates on uh, what's going on around the country in terms of abortion and life. And it looks like Ohio has made a big decision. Over the weekend, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine signed a bill that prevents physicians from prescribing medical abortion drugs during a telemedicine visit. Instead, physicians are required to do so during an in-person visit. And women who obtain the chemical abortion drugs must take the first two, first of the two pills in the presence of a physician. According to the Guttmacher Institute, more than a dozen states already have such a policy on the books. Chemical abortions have become the latest flashpoint in the abortion debate over the last year. As pro-abortion activists and abortion providers have lobbied the federal government to loosen restrictions on the medical abortion pill during the COVID-19 pandemic. Last March, a coalition of Democratic attorneys general, led by California Attorney General Xavier Becerra, now Joe Biden's nominee to lead the Department of Health and Human Services, demanded that the Food and Drug Administration loosen its safety protocols for the chemical abortion drug. Uh, the Democratic politicians insisted that FDA regulations requiring that pregnant women are handed the drug directly at a clinic, office, or hospital under the supervision of a healthcare professional. Uh, they said, quote, create unnecessary barriers between women and abortion care, not only making it harder to find, but also making it unappealing to prescribe, end quote. Last summer, a federal judge sympathized with their argument, nullifying the FDA safety requirement, at least for the duration of the COVID-19 pandemic. He wrote in his decision that the lack of access to in-person appointments where women could obtain chemical abortion drugs amounted to an unconstitutional limitation on women's supposed right to abortion. Shortly thereafter, pro-life leaders urged the FDA to remove the chemical abortion pill from the market altogether, citing safety concerns related to ingesting the drug at home and possibly without access to necessary follow-up care. They argued that the FDA should, quote, classify the abortion pill as an imminent hazard to the public health that poses a significant threat of danger, end quote. There's plenty of evidence to suggest that this claim has some merit. Ingesting the abortion pill puts pregnant women at risk of serious complications, many of which require follow-up care. The chief reason for the FDA safety regulations in the first place, somewhere between 5% and 7% of women who obtain a chemical abortion require a follow-up surgical abortion. One survey found that more than 3% of women who underwent a medical abortion in the first trimester required emergency room admission uh, to manage complications. These safety concerns have been intensified during the COVID-19 pandemic, which access, when access to follow-up care often has been limited. 
Ohio's decision to enact its own policy to more closely regulate chemical abortions is especially needed in the absence of FDA safety protocols. It is a shame that politicians and activists who claim to value women's health would place unlimited abortion access ahead of safety. That, of course, is true. And so hats off to the governor of Ohio for implementing that. Hopefully we see that more across the country. Uh, Telemedicine for abortion is not the answer. I think that's pretty clear. We'll talk more when we come back. As we continue the conversation, we are now looking to the state of Missouri. The state of Missouri making news in in the pro-life world as it appears to be the first state in America without an abortion facility. That's good news. Recently, Operation Rescue confirmed that Planned Parenthood in St. Louis, the only licensed abortion facility in Missouri, is not aborting unborn babies and hasn't been for months. While the St. Louis Planned Parenthood remains open and licensed for abortions, we confirm that none are being done there. There is no operational abortion facility in the state of Missouri, making it the first abortion-free state at this time, Operation Rescue President Troy Newman said last week. Instead, the group found that the St. Louis facility is referring women to a new Planned Parenthood a few miles across the border in Illinois for abortions. The St. Louis facility still has a license to do abortions, but it apparently is choosing not to. Newman said he believes the reason is because Planned Parenthood does not want to comply with Missouri's pro-life laws. He said this, It is obvious that Planned Parenthood of the St. Louis region seeks to avoid having to comply with Missouri's strong pro-life laws and has opted to abort in Illinois, where abortion facilities are essentially unaccountable. Uh, This shows a gross disrespect for the lives and safety of the women Planned Parenthood purports to serve. The St. Louis facility had a poor reputation. Operation Rescue documented 75 medical emergencies at the facility over the past several years. In 2019, state health leaders tried to revoke its license, citing multiple life-threatening abortions, but a state commissioner ruled in favor of Planned Parenthood. Five states are close to Missouri, according to Operation Rescue. There are 706 abortion facilities in the U.S., and Mississippi, North Dakota, South Dakota, West Virginia, and Wyoming have one abortion facility each. Last spring, the abortion facility in South Dakota also temporarily stopped aborting unborn babies because of the coronavirus pandemic. In April, a state pro-life leader told Live Action that the Planned Parenthood in in, uh, uh, South Dakota had to stop doing abortions because pandemic restrictions prevented the abortionists from traveling there. Then in November, a Planned Parenthood spokesman told CBS News that in South Dakota, South Dakota facility resumed doing abortions, but it cut back to once a month rather than once a week, as it used to do. Since the Supreme Court ruled in Roe v. Wade in 1973, states have been forced to legalize abortion on demand, and more than 62 million babies have been aborted. But of course, pro-life leaders continue to work to protect unborn uh, babies and mothers through laws, health and safety regulations, resources and support for parenting and uh, families. As a result, abortion rates are, are dropping, abortion facilities are closing, and more women are choosing life for their babies. And that's the truth. Look, it, we are excited to see abortion facilities close. I mean, even that number, there's 700 and something abortion clinics across the country. There are over 3,000 or right at 3,000 pregnancy centers across the country. We're doing the work, but are we reaching the patient? Are we reaching that mom in need? I mean, we're trying, but there's so much more we can do. Your partnership with us at Hope Resource Center allows us to reach those moms, 
allows us to reach that, that, that mom thinking about abortion, the, the abortion vulnerable, the abortion minded patient. It matters. Look, if we believe it's a life in the womb, and we've said this over and over and over on this show, if we believe it's a life in the womb, then, then it requires something of us. And there's no better way, in my opinion, than partnering with the pregnancy center. You want to partner with us at Hope, investinghope.com is the place to go. If you want to partner with other pregnancy centers, reach out to us. We can connect you. Maybe you're listening to this show out of state. You're like, what about the pregnancy center in my area? I can connect you to them. It's important. That work is important. It's making a difference. Even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of elections, even in the midst of all the craziness that's going on, we are making a difference. Our doors are still open. We're still serving. We're creating an area that's safe for them from a health perspective, from a conversational perspective, from a medical perspective. And the only way we're able to do that is because of people like you that, that partner with us and allow us to do that work. That's why it's so important for the Christian not to get wrapped up in all that is going on in the world. Should we care about what's going on in the world and in our country and in D.C. and in Nashville? Absolutely. That's why we talk about it on this show. But it should, should it consume us? Should it be the first thing we think about when we get up? Hey, I wonder what's happening in Washington. Should it be the last thing we think about when we go to bed? No, it shouldn't. <laughs> and so, and so where are we? Where, where are we at in 2021? Are we wrapped up in, in the things that the world has thrown us. Are we surprised by these things? Like you do understand we live in a fallen sinful world. Pandemics are going to come. Elections are going to come and go. Bad people are going to do bad things. Like none of this should surprise us. That doesn't mean we throw in the towel and we go, okay, you know, I'm out. I'm done with all of it. No, we still engage, we still get involved, we we still interact. But only you can know, is it consuming your life to the point of idolatry? Only you can answer that. And so what what's the what's the hope of twenty twenty one? What's the focus? Is it that we would see more people saved this year? Is it that, that we would see more people look to Jesus? Or is it that we would see more people come to our political cause? Let's be honest about that. I talked about it a little bit last week, but I mean, I've even seen pro-life advocates that, that I respect and love that now seem to me to be, become Political activist, not just on the issue of abortion, but on everything. And that concerns me. We should never become that which we repudiate. 
And what happened last week in D.C. is a lot of folks became that which they repudiate. Does that not bother us? I'll tell you that that, uh, my brother texted me last night. He said, are you watching the game? And I read it and I went, there's a game? What game is he even talking about? There's a national championship game on last night. Didn't know it. Had no idea. None whatsoever. Oblivious. Why is that, Bill? Because to, to be transparent, I had a flat tire last night in the parking lot of the gym, gymnastics place. Was frustrated. Jumped through all kinds of hoops trying to get the, the tire fixed. Finally did after being there for about an hour and a half longer than I wanted to be. My mother-in-law's vehicle wouldn't start. My wife left her phone at home and she was somewhere else. The last thing on my mind was a football game. You see, life happens to us and it, and it takes our focus in other ways, in other places. And that's okay. A guy was parked next to me and he helped. And you know what? We, we spent about an hour and a half together and not one of us brought up politics. Isn't that weird? You know, I used to bring up politics to people because that was all I ever wanted to talk about. And they would roll their eyes and they would say, I don't want to talk about it. And now it's like that's all everybody wants to talk about. It's really strange and unhealthy. And so as we look to this new year and as we think about what the goals are, what the plans are, what the focus should be. Might I ask that you get back to a place of celebrating the gospel. This year as I go around and speak at churches for the Sanctity of Life uh, for the month of January, my focus is the Great Commission. Now some would say, well, what does that have to do with being pro-life? What does that have to do with the abortion? Well, it's, the, it's a gospel issue first and foremost. What does the gospel tell us to do? What does Matthew 28 tell us to do? Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Pointing them to Jesus. We do that. A lot of these other issues will take care of themselves. But you see, what we do, instead of starting with the gospel, instead of starting with Matthew 28, we want to start with the issue. We want to start with the issue. Let's talk about uh, censorship. Let's talk about the First Amendment. Let's talk about the Second Amendment. Let's talk about uh, all of these issues. And then somewhere way down the road, we want to bring up the gospel instead of starting with the gospel. And so that's my concern is is the gospel has been kicked down the list of a priority so far that we never get there. I used to teach a, a young marriage class at, at church, and, and my question to them was simple. If I went to your workplace and I told somebody to tell me about you, what would they lead with? And And out of the five or six things they told me about you, anywhere in there would they say, man, That dude loves Jesus. Man, she just really cares deeply about Jesus. Or would that never come up in conversation? 
You see, that says a lot about us. Again, as we ingest all of the news and all of the information that we ingest, what is coming out of us when we have these conversations? It matters. We'll talk more and finish up when we come back. So as we finish up today, hopefully it's been productive. Hopefully you're finding yourself taking a break from the news, taking a break from, of course, not from this show. That would be crazy. Uh, taking a break from social media. Just taking a break in general. You know, I think sometimes we just need to take a walk. You know, used to when I when I played sports, uh, if you if you you know if I was missing a, a couple free throws or or something happened on the baseball field or, or I know buddies that played football and the same thing, and what would the coach say? The coach would say, "Go take a walk, take a breather, go jog around the field, go run around the court." Why, why would they do that? Because we have gotten to a place of being so flustered that we just needed to get, take a break from it all. There's something to that. Hey, just go take a walk. Go take a, a, a minute away from things to collect your thoughts. Spend time with the Lord. That's not crazy. It, it really is freeing. Do you know how freeing it is for somebody to ask you your opinion on, on a particular issue and you to look at them and go, I don't even know what issue you're talking about. I haven't seen that. You see, for a long time, I, I refused to be the guy that would say, I don't know what you're talking about. I wanted to know well, everything that was going on. Look, we're not wired for that. We're just not. Now, you can go too far with that and you just become lazy and aloof to, to everything. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is understand yourself when you need to take a break. And it's okay. And also understand that, that maybe getting fired up in comment threads on social media isn't healthy. And isn't God glorifying or God honoring? Maybe. I don't know. That's Again, that's up to you to know that. And so what is a healthy use of it? For some of us, we can look in our lives and go... Look, here's a healthy use. Here's what I use social media for. Here's what how I'm on my phone. Here's here's a healthy dose of that. For some of us, we have to go, yeah, I need to get rid of all social media. Because there is no way for me to be healthy with it. Because it's an addiction. And, and And maybe that's you. And that's okay. You know, but but we have to at some point get to a place where we're willing to to be honest with ourselves because what what the enemy is doing with all of this is distracting us so if we're focused on this and that and 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 everything in between then maybe we'll stop talking about the gospel maybe we'll get so worked up about the issue of the day that we'll turn so many people away from us that we'll never be able to get an inroad with them when it comes to pointing them to Jesus. You see, in, in that distraction, now has become successful. It's become the golden calf to take your eyes away. I mean, 
you know, when we when we read in scripture about uh, those being, you know, fleeing from Egypt, and Moses is is up spending time with the Lord on the mountain, and, and while he's up there, they can't even wait. They're like, get all the gold together, build us a calf. Why? Because they were bored for waiting. They didn't want to wait anymore. They wanted to build their own God. They wanted to worship their own God. And you think, you think about that and you go, no one in that group thought, hey, this little golden calf isn't going to do anything. But what happened? All of them fell into that trap. Yeah, let's build us one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know there were some people probably in the beginning like, build a golden calf, you crazy? Like we, we've seen all these miracles, we've seen all these amazing things, you want to build a golden calf? So there are probably a few in the group talking amongst themselves. This is kind of crazy, right? But then what happened? As more and more went on with the golden calf, hey, we need to build this golden calf, then all of them jumped in. And so we have to understand that about ourselves. What is the golden calf in your life? What is it that you idolize? What is it that you are making the God in your life? Think about that. And, and we need to do our best to, and when we find those things to remove them from our lives. Pray that God would remove them from our lives. If that's social media, if that's our phone, if that's whatever it is. All I'm saying is be aware. Hold yourself accountable. It's important, and it's worth the effort and worth the time. We'll talk to you next week. Don't pay no mind to the demons. They fill you with fear. The trouble in-